So in the New Testament, book of James, chapter 1, verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. But blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So today we are um, starting a new series where we're walking best we can through the New Testament book of James, and this is a, uh, a fantastic book, and, and I've called it that we're uh, how to have an authentic faith, because I think that when you look at the book of James, you know, after you enter into a relationship with Jesus and you want to figure out how to live, the book of James really gives us kind of a roadmap for how to get that done and how to have and live out a life of faith, and so um, I think it'll be a great few weeks that we're doing this series. And right off the bat, you know, we see in verse 1 that this thing was written not as a book, but as a letter. Um, There's a whole section of the New Testament that is letters that have been written by people like uh, Paul and Peter, and in this case, uh, James, and they're called epistles. And, you know, we don't have to wonder who wrote this particular letter, because it says in verse 1 that James wrote it. He identifies himself. And the only real question is, which James? There's several Jameses in, in the Bible. Um, the two primary Jameses are the Apostle James and James, the brother of Jesus. And um, because uh, they have dated, experts have dated this letter to be have written in 49 A.D., the Apostle James was dead at that time, and so they believe that this was written by James, uh, the brother of Jesus. And probably he was the oldest of, of Jesus' brothers. I'm not saying, just to clarify, I'm not saying that he was Jesus' older brothers. I'm, I'm saying that of the brothers, he was the oldest, because in Matthew 13, um, it lists his brothers, and, and uh, James is listed first. The interesting thing about James, I think, is that he wasn't always a believer. In fact, he was a doubter. He uh, questioned his own brother, what he said, and and who he was. And um, so he had to, he, you know, he had to overcome a lot. And uh, he became eventually a prominent uh, leader in the church, uh, which tells us that you know he had to overcome his his da- doubt and his questions and his struggles in order to become the person of faith that he became in the end. But in you know in the end. Um, James was one of the few people that Jesus appeared to uh, first um, after his resurrection. 
The Apostle Paul later referred to James as one of the pillars of the church because he was such a prominent uh, leader in the church. And so we see that, you know, this is a person who's become this strong person of faith, but he came by it honestly, right? It wasn't something that he was naturally born into, although you would think that that would have been the case, but um, it wasn't. And then the last thing that I'll just kind of point out as a way of introduction is that he notes that this letter is written to the 12 tribes that are scattered among the nations. And this really references the fact that James is in Jerusalem. There's these, uh, a group of Jewish Christians who are part of the Jerusalem church. And when they were persecuted uh, by the Roman government and even some of the Jewish leaders, um, they were, you know, they, they basically just scattered throughout all of Israel Um, as a way to escape imprisonment and even death. And so he says that this is written to all of his brothers and sisters who are struggling, going through hard times, having difficulty. And the incredible thing, I think, is that while this letter was written some 2,000 years ago, how it applies to us today. Because some of the same questions that they had a couple thousand years ago in how to survive life are some of the same questions that we still have today. When we have a time when we're going through hard times, when we're going through times of of trials, how do we survive and get to the other side of the pain? So like I said, we're uh, excited about this uh, series in, in James, we try to, once or twice a year, just kind of teach through a book of the Bible best we can, and um, so it's uh, a lot of fun for us to do that. Um, and this particular section deals with the whole idea of, of overcoming pain, and you know, it doesn't matter what we're dealing with, whether you're going through the pain of a divorce or the loss of somebody that you love or somebody has hurt you deeply. It could even be that you've caused somebody else pain, and there's a whole ripple effect uh, you know, around that. But um, when we go through these kind of troubles and hard times, uh, James has something to say about it. And, and so he starts out, and it's incredible because he starts out in this letter, and I'm, I'm guessing he starts out with this because he's dealing with people who are out there being persecuted and chased and killed and and um, put in jail. And so um, he says, consider it pure joy, <laughs> my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. It's interesting because when, when James talks about uh, where he says the, the, the trials of many kinds, he's actually talking about the fact that trials and hardship and pain really come in all shapes and sizes, and everybody experiences it differently, right? I mean, it has the idea that my pain and my hurt that I've experienced in my life is different from your pain and your hurt that you've experienced in my life. We might even have experienced the exact same thing, but we experience it uh, differently, and it's almost like my pain is customized just for me. That's a weird concept, isn't it? Uh, But it means that our pain and our brokenness really is what our life is built on. Like it has made us who we are. And 
we have a choice at any given moment. We, we can either run from it and pretend like it never happened and live with the shame of it, if that's the case, or the open wounds uh, that it's caused, or we can embrace it and understand that this really is part of who I am. I mean, look, everyone in this room, I think, could share a story that would rip your heart out about how you have been hurt or experienced a deep sense of pain or loss. But what that means is that every single one of us has a story about how our pain and our brokenness has made us who we are today. Right? It's not like I want to go back through all the junk that I've been through in my life, but I can't help but be grateful for all the stuff that I've gone through that has made me who I am. And it's become part of our DNA, our, the story of who we are. Suffering and pain is really the, the common thread that brings us together in the most raw form of our humanity. I mean, it leaves us exposed and vulnerable and in need of healing and in need of help. And typically we hate it, right? Because we feel so weak and out of control. And one of the questions that we have to figure out is, how do I... How do I move through it? Right? How do I get on the other side of it without, without staying stuck in this spot, this pain as a victim or to be bitter or resentful? How do I get on the other side of it so that it doesn't, this doesn't cripple me? Because the fact of the matter is, pain is very much a part of our lives and we have to learn how to deal with it in a healthy way. And I think that while there are no easy answers, there's no like one, two, three formula, and everybody's process of healing is different than everybody else's, there are some things that I think that the book of James identifies that are necessary steps to overcoming pain in our lives. And while they may seem very simplistic, they are very, very profound. And the very first thing that James teaches that we are to do, to be honest with you, sounds a little ridiculous, doesn't it? Consider it pure joy, like when you go through bad times, yay. And, I mean, really, is he, is he really telling me that I should be joyful when my heart is breaking? That I should rejoice when somebody has hurt me so deeply that I should consider it joy when I've just lost somebody that I love so much. It doesn't really make sense until you get to that next word that kind of links it all together, which is the word because. So it says, consider it joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So how can we find joy in the midst of all of our pain and hardships and tough times We can, he says, because tough times produce perseverance. And what we're going to see is that perseverance is actually an essential quality 
that we have to have in order to have an authentic faith. So this is where we start getting down to the core of his, his teaching. Now, the first thing we need to realize is that he doesn't say, hey, you're going through hard times, be happy. Right? He doesn't say, be happy that you're going through a time of pain. He says, consider it joy when you go through these times. Because joy is not happiness. Right? Happiness comes and goes as easy as money in a slot machine. And happiness isn't something that you can cling to when you've lost a loved one. Happiness isn't something that you can you know, hold on to when you're declaring bankruptcy or you're losing your home. Joy, on the other hand, that's something deeper. That's something more meaningful, and it's going to be there for you at the end of the day. Real joy is a deeper, sustaining quality that comes from God so that even in your darkest days, when, it is, when there is a sadness and a grief and a loss that is threatening to just overtake you, you can still have this sense of joy that is very mysterious, I think. And James says that when we begin to experience that kind of joy, that's when pain produces perseverance. And if you were going to have a a word picture of what that word perseverance looks like, that what he's talking about, it's that we are to bear up under something. And in this context, we are to bear up. It's almost like the pain is is squarely on your back. And you are to bear up under it and continually and persistently apply force against it. Does it sound like he's painting kind of a picture of a rose garden that, you know, if you believe in Jesus, everything is going to be easy? No. Like, it doesn't sound like any fun at all. It sounds like it's a whole lot of stinking work to get through it. And it's something that requires all the strength that we can muster to get through these difficult times, and it's no fun. Well, he goes on in in verse 4, and he says, so let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Perseverance, it seems, is the goal of our faith, so that we can finish the journey of life. And in order for us to be able to finish well, then we have to allow perseverance to finish its work so that we can finish ours. So unfortunately, this is the idea that we have to suck it up and face whatever hard times we are going through head on. Like, we cannot hide from it. Now, this is an especially difficult issue for a guy like me. Because I have that personality that you would call a stuffer. And I have a tendency to take all of the pain in my life and all of the stuff that I don't want to deal with. And, you know, my wife will tell you that I do this very well. And I stuff it. And I pretend like it doesn't exist. The problem is that if you don't work through it in a healthy way. You can stuff it for a while. You can hide from it for a while. 
You can pretend like it's not there for a while, but eventually, it will come out. And when it does, when it rears its ugly head, it will come out in the most unhealthy of ways. Because they are big issues that have never ever been dealt with in your life. My first introduction to real pain was the day my mom died. Several years ago, she got cancer, and um, it was a devastating moment for me when she died. And I handled my mom's death about as poorly as you could ever imagine. And one of the biggest mistakes that I made soon after her death is I stuffed it. I didn't talk about it. I didn't deal with it. I did what I do best. And I, you know, buried myself in my work. And I ignored it. And I moved on as quickly as I could. But within like a year, my grief that I thought I had handled started coming out in some very unhealthy ways, and it ate my lunch. And in a feeble attempt to try and cope, I ended up causing a whole lot of people a whole lot of pain. And it was not pretty. What I've now discovered is that the more that I try and run from it, the worse off I am. But the more that I embrace my pain and face it and walk through it, I'm able to deal with it and I become stronger and healthier as a result of it. And so now, hopefully I'm a little older and wiser, when my dad died several months ago that was equally as devastating for me, I handled it completely differently. And I'm not going to lie, because it's ridiculously painful to experience a loss like that. But I faced that head on, and to be honest with you, I'm, I'm still working through it. And it hits me at weird times, even times that I don't even, can't even imagine why. But I can, I can honestly say that you know, there's not a day that goes by that I don't miss both of them. You know, there's, there's just times when I feel orphaned and foundationless. And I don't play any games about the fact that I know that that pain of that loss, it's always going to be there. But now, instead of trying to run from it, when I feel like crying, I cry. In fact, I just embrace the crying and I put on some really sad music and I cry even harder. When I'm having a hard day and it's really affecting me, you know, I, I sit down and I talk about it with my best friend who happens to be my wife and, you know, we talk about it and deal with it. You know, whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that you're going through, like, if you're trying to run from it, God can never heal it. You can never just sit down long enough to, to deal with it. Unfortunately, God's timing is not our timing. And while pain, if you're like me, pain is incredibly inconvenient for me. And I don't want to take time to deal with it. Like, I do want to blow through it and, and move on. But 
The truth of the matter is that healing is a very, very gradual process. And there are some things that are so deeply painful that it could take a lifetime before you fully recover. And so perseverance becomes that necessary quality for anybody who desires to get on to the other side of pain. Perseverance has the idea that no matter how difficult life gets, no matter how battered and bruised our faith becomes, we hold on to that faith until the very end. But over and over and over again, we have to remember that you have to take time to walk through the pain. James says that from persevering through times of pain that our character then gets built, right? That we become more mature and complete so that the next time it happens, we handle it differently. It produces a faith in us that is authentic and he says, lacks nothing. So we see that the faith that we're talking about is not something that it's about being a moral person or it's not being perceived as being religious. It's about having a faith that is real and that kind of authentic faith, unfortunately, is a faith that's born out of hard times. I mean, that kind of faith has been put through the fire, it has been tested, and it is born out of that pain and that is what makes us who we are. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, this is a difficult passage for me, too, because I'm not only a stuffer, but I'm also a doubter. And, however, I I think that James is actually um, using doubt in a different context than what we may typically think of, because a doubter in this context, he says, is a double-minded person. And the term double-minded comes from a Greek word which has the idea of a person that has two of two minds or a split soul. And it's interesting that this word appears only in the book of James, and so biblical scholars believe that James is the one who actually coined this word himself. But, you know, and I'll make a distinction about this, because one of the great misconceptions, I think, among Christians is that, you know, to doubt God or to become angry with God is somehow a sin and, you know, when you do that, people question your faith and talk about how bad you are. And, and it's just not true. I mean, the opposite of faith is really unbelief. And there's a big difference between unbelief and doubt. Unbelief is to make a conscious decision to deny or to reject God altogether. Doubt or anger, on the other hand, is really is being honest and authentic about the struggles that you're dealing with in your life. It's actually working through your faith, which is what actually helps to produce a stronger faith. So you can have a a strong faith in God, 
and love God and still have doubt or pain about whatever it is that you're struggling with or going through. You can still be a strong Christian without feeling like you have to have all the answers or that life is supposed to be a rose garden now that you're a Christian. Unfortunately, life is just a little messier than that, at least in my experience. So struggling with God over issues of life doesn't show a lack of faith. That's what faith is. Right? I mean, faith is like bringing clarity into the fog and helping to carve out a, a, a way, a, light, a lighted path for us to follow in the midst of chaos. What you can't be is double-minded, according to James. And what he's doing is defining it as trying to keep a foot in two worlds. A double-minded person is someone who is is, is constantly living in a state of compromise or an inauthentic faith. Where half of you is, is living for God and saying that you're living for God, while the other half of you is wandering far away from God and doing things that are not what God intends for your life. And so you're trying to live over here in, in, in the world of God, but you're also trying to live over here in the world and it makes you double-minded. You're trying to have it both ways, and God don't play that. It's the same idea when Jesus is talking about in the book of Matthew. He says you can't serve two masters, and in that case he's talking about you can't serve both God and money. He's saying you can't live for God and something else at the same time. You're either all in or you're not. You can't say that you're all in and then, you know, be jacking around over here, and that's what being a double-minded person is. And James said you can't do that. But when you're all in, then you're able to go to God and ask for wisdom in those type of situations and ask for his help into how to navigate this very, very difficult journey that I'm, I'm faced with in this tough time. And it says that when we ask him, that he will give us the wisdom that we need to show us the way to make it through. And as a result, blessed is the one who perseveres under trials because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Nothing, I think, sidetracks our relationship with God or our faith like hitting a wall of pain head on. But James is pretty clear that if we walk through whatever it is that we're going through in God, then it will make us stronger and it will give us the strength and the wisdom that we need to finish this journey we call life with our faith left intact. My mom was a very, uh, a very strong person of faith. She was a pastor's wife and uh, very sweet, but a very, one of the most devout Christians that I know. And as I said, she got cancer and it was, uh, it really ticked her off because uh, she got lung cancer. So she was like one of the 20% that get lung cancer who's never smoked. And so she was really ticked off about that because she never, you know, took a drink or took, you know, cigarettes. So I always joked around that she was out in the back of the garage 
smoking a cigarette or something, but she didn't think that was very funny. Uh, but there was like this injustice about that, you know? It wasn't fair that she got this cancer, that she lived this beautiful life and got cancer. And so before she died, I just asked her, I said, how, how has getting this cancer impacted your faith? And she said, well, I have a hard time with this idea of rejoicing in my suffering. Which if you knew her, you know that that would be very difficult for her to admit. But, she said, if what that means is that I am to persevere, she said, I can do that. I can endure what I have to endure for one simple reason. She said, my faith in Jesus is the only thing that is getting me through this. And she said that even in the midst of this, there is that sense of joy because I know, I know, this is not the end. Happiness means nothing in that moment. Avoiding pain, there's no benefit to that. But walking through those difficult times, those times of pain, with a sense of joy, is something that is almost indescribable, but I'll, I'll make an attempt at it. I, I would describe it like this. That we may have tears streaming down our face because the pain just hurts so badly and yet in the midst of it we can still kind of smile because we know that this is not it. We know that there's something more. God promises that from the ashes that are created from the pain and the brokenness of our lives that he'll create something beautiful, something real and authentic and deep. He uses our pain and our sufferings to mold us into the people that he created us to become. And one day, and I'm not saying it's today, but one day, we can look back on those dark times in our lives. And we're going to be able to see that out of the ashes of our deepest pain emerged just a tiny bud of new life. Hope, which was the beginning of a new you. The beginning of something meaningful, deeper, more authentic. Walking through your pain in an honest way doesn't make you weak. It makes you stronger. 